We're talking about sex, but before we do that, just so you know. Um, so what I try and do now for the for last little while when I, I'm preaching is just to, 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 to bring stories to you about past revivals and how that led to Reformation. Because we're in this church, we believe that God wants to visit us, revival. He wants to visit us. He wants to visit us in a meeting like this, in our intercession meetings, in our small groups. But He doesn't want to only keep it. We cannot contain the glory of God. It's not for ourselves only. Like a lot of us, we, we feel the presence of God. But God's He's now moving us outside also into every sphere of influence. Every area that you influence in this city, it's a, you have that influence because God has placed you there so that you can bring glory, the glory of God to that area of influence. So it's revival, but also, also reformation. So one of the things that I just shared this morning was that um, if you look at revivals from the past, and even in Acts 2 or Acts 4, or even some of the Old Testament moments when the Holy Spirit will des- would descend on people, a lot of weird things would happen. Like in 1 Samuel 19, there's Saul, his the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he, he strips himself naked while he prophesies so that God would embarrass Saul because he wanted to kill David. It's like weird things happen. In Acts 2, the people were looking at them and they, were, they would look drunk. And there are words that are used there are like they were perplexed, they were confused. So in the past little while, we've had many of, of these moments where people would whether they would fall under the Spirit or they would laugh or they would cry. So what I did, and unfortunately there aren't any of the, the documents available still because the morning service took all of them. So I, uh, my, my dad actually used a Dutch phone minister. He gave me a book when I just started exploring the Holy Spirit and it was a little weird for me. He gave me a book called Surprised by the Holy Spirit from Jack Deere. Amazing book. If you can get your hands on that, get that. And there's a, there's a chapter in that book that says, scared to death by the Holy Spirit. And I'll, I'll, make, some few, I'll make a few copies and we'll get the, 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 just a, a PDA version also of that. So if you are interested in that, so you maybe just, you've seen the last little while, like people falling over or people laughing or crying. I would love for you to read that because it just explains biblically, but also from a historical perspective, on what happens when the Holy Spirit comes and visits us. Because we have to make peace with the fact that God will blow our minds when He arrives in this service. That He will change everything. Like what I love to say is God is bigger than a train, and if you are standing in front of a train, you're going to change. So imagine God meets with you. You're going to change. Something's going to happen. Our bodies are not we were not created to carry the glory of God to the full extent. So some, some of those things might happen. There's obviously always this excess, there's people that go behind what's really from God, but that you will get, and also it experience, it's very well explained in that chapter. But so next, next week we'll, uh, I'll have for the evening service also, I'll keep them, I'll hit them for the morning service, then I'll keep them for you. Amen. But let's, let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us, God, and you've really spoken to us in so many ways. Lord, and I just, I love it when you speak to your children, Lord, whether it's through song, through
through just scripture or through word. And we, we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you are with us and that you always trying to get closer to us because that is your love nature in the name of Jesus. Amen. Great. So we're going we're gonna to talk about, about sex. Are you guys keen for that? So the whole theme for this month is love. So last week we, we covered friendship um, in the morning service and Luke did a good job of just explaining how God, there's, there's different ways of relating to God depending on, on who he is. He is the king or he is the intimate lover um, or he's, he's the father. So this week I just want to dig a little deeper into the more intimate side of love, the romantic side of love. And the reason why I feel it's really important to share this with you is because the world has a lot to say about sex. Do you know, have you realized that? Have you seen this? You can go to a magazine stand, and I, I promise you in 90% of the magazine covers, there will be something about sex. Even the golf magazine sometimes, or the cricket, or the Sports Illustrated. I used to love the Sports Illustrated, but then you always, once a year, you have the swimsuit edition. What is that? That is promoting our like, sexuality and saying, hey, people that love sport would love, would love this. Okay, so the world has a lot to say about this, but often we as Christians, we shy away from the difficult topics. So I want to go for this, and also I'm trusting that God will give me the words and the wisdom to share it um, in a way that's non-compromising, but also that you will be able to understand. So the first, first scripture that I want to go to is Genesis 4 verse 1. So I want to give you a context, um, the context of, of sex from a biblical point of view. So Genesis 4 verse 1 says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of, of the Lord. It's like, oft, it's like looking at my wife and I, and the writer is writing a story about us, and he said, Amor knew Cornell, and therefore they bore a child, Eva, a one of the four. <laughs> By the way, the reason why they asked me to speak about this is Luke said, Hey, Amal, um, you've had at least four, you've had sex four times. So you obviously, you wiser than me. Luke's only at two. Okay. So in that context, it says that it, it's to know someone. Okay. When we... When we have sex, we know that person. But now we need to break away from our Western paradigm where we think it's only head knowledge. So when we say, when it says here, Adam knew Eve, his wife, it's saying that there was a transaction. There was knowledge imparting from Adam and Eve to Adam. And that knowledge was both physically, emotionally, and spiritually. That's why we call the marriage, we call it a covenant. So we, we become one. What I have, the knowledge that I carry in me, who I am, the deepest secrets of my heart, the mysteries of, I can't even put it in words. It gets communicated, it gets channeled to my wife whenever I have sex. And that is a holy moment. Therefore, if you... 
If you sleep around, if we have sex like the world suggests we have, we are communicating in the deepest, most holy way to all the people that we're sleeping around with. So the first important point that I want to make is that sex is holy. And when we look at sex, we need to look at it from the point that God is holy and He created it, and therefore it's sacred. Sex is sacred. And the only way that it will be fruitful is when it's in the parameters that God put for it. God just suggested it in the Bible, and that's the covenant of marriage. Because if you have the wrong relationship to the holiness of God, you know what's going to happen? You're going to die. There's a story in the Old Testament, very, very odd story of, of Asa. He, they were carrying the, the Ark of the Covenant. They were carrying it back to Jerusalem, and he just touched it. They fell, and he just touched the Ark, the most holy part of the temple. He just touched holiness, and he died. If you research this guy Asa, you realize that he was actually, his dad hosted the ark for a couple of years. So he was supposed, that you, supposed to know, if you read through the Old Testament, you're not allowed to touch the ark if you're not the high priest. You're not allowed to touch holiness. That is beyond what you're allowed to do. And the moment he touched it, he, he died. So if we don't have the right relationship to something that's sacred, to holiness, the holiness of God, we will die. So on the one side, it is frightening. But on the other side, it is amazing. Because all of you here were the result of sex. Do you know that? And all of you, all of you are awesome. So if you look at yourself, there's so amazing fruit that comes from sex. But we need to have the right relationship to the sacred thing called sex and sexuality. So first point, sex is holy and we need to keep it holy. If it's holy, then it's holy. If it's sacred then it's sacred. Nobody touches it inappropriately. You cannot say, hey, well, let's redefine sex and then you do whatever you want to do with this. No, it's something that God created and therefore it's holy and He determines the rules. He determines how we can have sex. Amen. Great. The second point that I want to make is we need to look at two terms. The one is Lust, another one is love. So lust is, ask the question, what can I take? Love says, what can I give? Lust, the subject of lust, lust revolves around me, around the big I. It's all about me. Now I, I know that because I, I, I was addicted to pornography and the only reason why I watched pornography was to satisfy my own desires it was all about me i didn't i wasn't like hey hey let's pray for this lady on the screen hey let let me see how can i give love to this lady on the screen no 
Yes, it's obvious. It's lust. So lust always communicates, I want to take something. And even in marriage, there's a lot of you that are already married. There's a lot of men, there's a lot of women, they only have sex because they want something from the other person. But that is lust. The subject of lust is always you and your desires. The subject of love is God and others. So it says, John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave. So His love, His love motivated Him to give. And love when we, when we love, when we realize how much God loves us, and that loves gets, love gets deposited into our heart by the Holy Spirit, we are able to love selflessly. And that gets contradicted by lust. Because lust is, how can I take? How far can I go? Who of you have asked that question? If you're a teenager... I've had so many conversations with teenagers and, hey, almost, how far am I allowed to go? If you ask that question, that's lust. All you're doing is you're like, how far can I go before it's sin? You're already in sin because the, the only thing that you want to do is you want to take. But if you go, yeah, man, I love this person. So, I don't know how, it, how this, this happened, but it was... It was a God thing that happened when I just started dating Cornell when Cornell was 16. I was 17, I think. And um, I remember telling God that I want to, if I ever break up with Cornell, she must be in a better place physically, spiritually, and emotionally. I, I was definitely not mature enough to do this, but it was, it was a God thing. Probably my parents or my grandmother or somebody prayed for me. And I still believe, wow. Oh, that was a massive revelation. So when, when we had a relationship, I always felt like I want to keep her pure. Because what if this is not my wife? By the way, if you're 16 years old and you're going out with somebody, you can't, you can't know that this is your wife or your husband. You don't know. And you need to leave that, that thought in the back of your mind because else you're just going to go on full steam ahead. You need to be humble in that. Okay, so now I'm, I'm loving, I'm loving Cornell. I'm just saying, God, I want to keep her pure. God, I, want, I don't want to touch her. Um, I don't want to, anything that will violate who she is, I don't want to have anything to do with that. So it happened. I went to varsity. She stayed back. She was a year younger than me, and she stayed in school, and we broke up. It was still emotionally, it was really difficult for me, but we were still friends. We could still be friends. Why? Because our relationship was governed not by lust, but by love. The other way that lust manifests is where we want something to fulfill ourselves. I get a little nervous when I see on people's, whether it's WhatsApp status or Instagram or Facebook, say, hey, this person is the world to me. He is everything. He is so amazing. And then... I know the next person's going to come and then that person's also going to be the world and he's going to be everything. Because what you're communicating is that person needs to be perfect because I'm imperfect. And what is that? That is, I want to take.
take from that person. That is not love, that is lust. Okay, so this is a hard word. I, I know this. But this is what God's saying. This is what Jesus modeled. He was never into what can I take from these people. He was always into what can I give to these people. And it's even more important when you talk about sexuality, when we talk about romantic relationships, when you talk about marriage, is you are in this to give love. Okay? And if you are broken, by the way, you won't be able to give love in a godly way. You need to trust God that He heals you. And you won't get whole in a romantic relationship. You will get whole in friendship relationships and where God deposits His love into your life. So we're going to do Encounter 3 and 4 coming up in, in May. Please sign up for that. But there we deal with identity. We deal with strongholds. We deal with what happened in your past, in your families, so that you can get whole. Because I would love for all of you that want to get married, that you get married and that you are the best husband and the best wife to, to your partner. All of you. I want Shofar George to be the, the place where people are like, man, those people's marriages, they are flourishing. So, John and Mark, I'm going to put you on the spot. How old are you now? 23, yeah? 23. He's 23 years old. So he's the first guy that has done marriage prep with us. And, he's, and I always ask this question. I said, hey, okay, so we need to talk about, we, we're talking about sex. And we're talking about, hey, what's your past experiences? Because that will have an influence. If you don't, if you don't take care of that, if you don't repent of that, if you don't heal emotionally because of those experiences, it will have an influence in your marriage. So then I asked all the guys and I get to John Mark and John Mark has never watched porn in his life. He's the first guy ever at a marriage prep that I've heard that from. And he's telling the truth. Let's give him a hand. It's still true, eh? <laughs> but even if you... Even if you stumble, hey, God's going to, it is so amazing. And therefore, at 23, he can marry. He can get married. I'm like, yes, Lord, bless John Mark and Tracy. I'm like, yes, man, just go for it. You guys are amazing. Just go for it. And you're going to have the best sex in your marriage. In your marriage. Still a few, few days, month and all. Right? Two months, sorry. Okay. So we're not into lust, we're into love. So now we're getting into, this is now a new sermon, okay? Old sermon is, and we're going to come back to the old sermon. Okay, the new sermon is, we're going to talk quickly about identity. Because we are created in the image of God, we are created in love. And a, bit, and a, and a part of love, and the way that we express love, if you look at the four um, words for love in the Greek, it's agape, which is romantic love or love of God, sorry. Then you have philos, which is friendship love. Then you have sorge, which is parental love. And then you also have eros love, which is self-explanatory, the erotic, the, the sexual romantic, romantic love. So we are created in, in that image. And, and we are created for all of those. So when we talk about sex, we also talk about our identity. We talk about sexuality. We're talking about our identity. 
So if you read in Genesis 1, verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. It's amazing. That is the truth. You are created in God's image. That is amazing. And you cannot choose that. You cannot choose that. You were created like that. You cannot choose to be an animal. You are created in God's image. And then it says, we're not only created in God's image, we are created in a specific way. We are created male or female. Male or female. And we cannot choose that. It doesn't matter what the world says. You cannot choose to be one day you're male, next day you're female. No. You know when you're female. Biologically, you know when you're female. And biologically, you know when you're male. What you can choose is you can choose to believe lies or you can choose to believe the truth about who you are as a male or a female. So the world out there makes a big point that we have the authority to choose and I, I, love, I love that in a way because it's actually something that God's stirring in the hearts of people where we have the ability and the authority to choose to not let circumstances dictate who we are, but that we can choose in Christ who we are. That's actually, that's a God move. But the ungodly evil move of, of the devil is that we can choose our sexuality. You cannot choose this. There's not, no such thing as homosexuality in the, in the Bible. You can choose to believe a lie about your sexuality, and you can choose to believe the truth about your sexuality. And what do we, we want to live by truth, because we want to have the right relationship to holiness, to the holy character of God. Okay, so here's one of the arguments in this regard. I know this is almost like a whole sermon or or a seminar on its own. But I'm just, I'm just touching this. So please go and read your Bibles. Go and do research on this. So here's the argument. They would say, hey, Christians in the past, they've been loveless, especially in South Africa. We have justified apartheid. And we've said, hey, people of a different race, they're not going to go to heaven. I come from that church. But they're not saying that same thing anymore. And now we're doing the same to homosexual people or people that believe that homosexuality is how they were created. That's not, so they use the same argument. But what we believe as Christians, we believe that our culture is sacred. Do you, believe, do you know that God created you, if you were, as you are, as you are Zulu, eh? You're a Zulu, and he loves that about you. But we believe that is sacred. We believe that the diversity that we see in culture is sacred. There's no culture that's on a higher level, on a higher plane than other culture. And therefore, we cannot discriminate against any culture. We should actually, the Bible says, Jesus says, my house will be a house of prayer for the nations. Not only are we praying for the nations, but all the nations. In other words, He's celebrating different cultures and saying all of them should be gathered because in that, all the different cultures, that is a picture of who God is. So that's sacred. Your culture is sacred. But then 
we also believe that our sexuality is sacred. You cannot touch that. You're a male, no, don't touch that. You're a female, don't touch that. That's, that's who we are. It's holy. You cannot determine who you are in that regard, because that is holy. And therefore, a lot of people would respond in, in hatred towards people that would say, hey, I'm homosexual, or, and that is wrong, by the way. We love all people. I'm not, I'm not offended by people saying that I'm, I'm loveless when I, when I preach the truth about being a male and a female. I'm not offended by that because we are not called to justify God. We are called to love people. And Kunal and I, we have, we have friends that have chose not to believe the truth, but they have chose to live, get married, and we still love them. We still sit next to them at weddings, and I love to give them hugs, and I love to be around them. They're not dirty people. They're not, hey, just don't get near them. No, they should be loved. We should get into their faces and express the Father love of God. We don't even have to have all the arguments from the Bible about why it's wrong and why this and this. You should just love them. So identity is this. It is holy because God created it. You cannot choose. You cannot, you don't have a say in your identity, which is actually a good thing because a lot of us, we go through our teenage phase and we're like, oh man, I hate my body. I'll hate my pimples. I remember one of my friends said, hey, Armut, why were you standing in front of the dartboard? Because I had so many, I had so many pimples. I'm like, yes, that's mean. That's really mean. And we would, we would want to deny our identity as in the, being the image of God. But you, that's only a lie that you believe. That's not the truth. And then somewhere down the line, we get to meet with Jesus. And then Jesus reveals who he is. And in the light of who he is, we also get, get to know, understand who we are. And that's, that's amazing. And that's a journey for all of us. No matter who you are, where you come from, what kind of mishaps you've had in terms of the sexuality, not, all of us, we have that journey. And all of us are on the same journey. And there's no reason why we should judge. We should just love. Speak the truth, but then love. Great. And then sex also has consequences. The good consequence is the fruit is Luke. And you. It's amazing. Within marriage, sex is amazing. I have a friend, he's a pastor. He says, oh, it's easy. Marriage counseling is easy. All he does is he would bring people in and they would talk about, about their problems and he would just ask them, hey, when last have you had sex? And if they would say, hey, not in the last two weeks, he said, hey, okay, first session, you go and do it yourself. Then come back. Because it's amazing, it's holy, and we should speak about it. My dad, when I was 10 years old, he had his inner group, and we were sitting with some friends that were a lot older, and he would tell us about the birds and the bees and how it works, whether it's pornography or masturbation or sex and everything. And I so honor my dad for doing that when I was so young. So it's holy and it's good. But if you have the wrong relationship, with your sexuality, but also with sex, 
then you're going to suffer. So let's read from Proverbs 6, 27 to 29 in Messi's translation. It says, Can you build a fire in your lap and not burn your pants? Hmm? Love the Bible. Can you walk barefoot on hot coals and not get blisters? It's the same when you have sex with your neighbor's wife. Touch her and you'll pay for it. No excuses. And young people, you don't know the girl that you're with now, the girl that you may be kissing on the beach, the girl that you're pursuing wherever, that you want to have a one-night stand. You don't know whose wife that is. It is somebody's wife. So this scripture is for you. It says, it's the same when you have sex with your neighbor's wife. I don't care technically how you want to define sex. If you are touching her inappropriately or you relate to her in a lustful way, you can take that scripture and apply it to yourself. You are putting coals on your lap. And you're going to get hurt. I've never met anybody that come to me and tell me, Oh my, I wish I had, I explored sexuality more and before marriage. I wish I had more sexual encounters with people before marriage. Never. Not even unsaved people. But I have so many people that say, Oh my, I wish my dad told me this. I wish my brother helped me with this. I, I wish my friends helped. I wish my church spoke about this. So you'll pay for it. No excuses. Okay. So we want to love people. And then the last scripture that I want to use is that with sex, there's also a responsibility. We are the people of God. We are called the bride of God. In other words, there's, there's, there's an intimacy narrative that God uses when He speaks about us. In other words, we have access to God. We have access to the Holy One. So our perspective on sex through the Word is the right perspective. And we need to defend. We need to defend this. So, Song of Solomon, verse 8 and, oh, sorry, chapter 8, 8 and 9, message translation, it speaks about this. So now these guys, imagine these guys, you're at school, you're talking to your friends, to your buddies at a rugby game, you said, our little sister has no breasts. What shall we do with our little sister when men come asking for her? She's a virgin and vulnerable, and we'll protect her. If they think she's a wall, we'll top it with barbed wire. If they, if they think she's a door, we will barricade it. So there's a, when I, read it, when I read this, there's a responsibility. Now I take up a lot of roles. I'm, I'm the pastor of this church. I'm the husband to my wife. I'm, I'm a friend to many girlfriends. I have two daughters. And I have two sons. And I want to be like these two guys. I want to protect them from people that want to take advantage of them in terms of their sexuality. And all of, in every area, when I'm a, when I'm a, when I'm a pastor in this church, I don't want anyone in this room to inappropriately be touched by anyone. I want this to be like a, a sex-free zone if you're not married. Because I know it's a good fight to fight. And I know that it's healthy. And I know that it's amazing to marry as a virgin 
Because by the grace of God, that's how Cornell and I could get married. It's amazing. And I also know that God restores your virginity. We've had a, we, had a, we had a girl in a month before they got married. She had, she had sex with a, um, a fiancé, and it, they were so distraught. They were down in the dumps. They went to the pastor, and they spoke to him. They asked for forgiveness. They repented, and they were just, yeah, it was, they felt horrible because of this because they kept themselves pure um, in terms of each, their relationship with each other because they just got saved and all of that. And then on the married, when, on the first night, they realized she was still a virgin. Why? Because God is a God of restoration. He forgives. And we're going to get to that at the end. You're going to, you're going to just confess and, you, and God's going to say, hey, you are forgiven. You are a virgin. You are set free. Now walk in holiness. But then we have that part to play. We need to edu- educate our friends. We need to educate. I need to educate my children. Every now and then, Eva would allow me to come next to her in, in the bed, and I would lie next to her in, in bed, and I would cuddle with her. And I would kiss her. Because what, I, I am, what I'm telling her is that you are loved. You don't have to go and look for love. You are loved. You are loved. Because if we... If we can get only that right, that all of you feel loved, you will never get to a point where you're like, oh, I need somebody to fulfill me. I need somebody to make me whole. And that's usually when lust come in, because now it's like, I want to take that of you, and I want to put it in this gap that I have. It's only Jesus that can fulfill that. So we need to help each other. I have no problem when people come for marriage prep and you can ask John and I ask him, okay, so are you guys living together? If you're living together, you're going to move out before you get married. And I'm not doing that because I'm harsh. No. I'm doing that because I love them. Because I know that you'll never have that chance again. Actually, it would be wrong if John Mark and Tracy get married and two months down the line, John Mark's like, no, he's moved out because he wants to be more holy now. And he's going to stay away from his wife for a month. No, that's going to be wrong. You're never ha- going to have that opportunity again. And then usually young people tell me, hey, but what about the finances? Oh, it's so much cheaper to live together. Okay, I don't understand this because now you're saying finances, you want to honor the demand that finance, the God of Mammon, put on you, but you're not going to honor the demand that God, the Holy One, puts on you. And that's to stay pure. Because by the way, if you can stay with your fiancé for a month and you're living together, you are eating together and you don't have sex, there's something wrong with you. I would have never been able to do that. So it's, it's nonsense that people are living together before they get, get married. If they're Christian. If they're not Christian, we don't have anything. We just, she just loved them. We can, go to the, we can go to the weddings, we can help them, we can teach them. But if they're not Christian, then we don't have anything. But if they're Christian, we need to keep them accountable. Because we are, we are these two guys that saying the following, Our little sister has no breasts. She is still a virgin. What shall we do with our little sister when men come asking for her? That guy, he's intruding 
or she is intruding, I will speak to them. Because when you inappropriately, when you have sex outside of marriage, it hurts you. It hurts you. And it, it not only, Paul says, it's worse than other sin because it hurts you inside of your body, inside of your soul. It hurts your heart. Because we want to be able to love. And when that holy knowledge flows during sexual intercourse, and God's not there because you didn't allow Him to be there because it's not a covenant between you and, and, the, and the girl that you're sleeping with, there's not protection there's not a safe space so you or she will not be able to handle the emotional burden of carrying this person's heart we're not created for that amen okay can the, can the band come in please So here's the last one, and I'm, I do want to like, I ask God, God, I want to paint the picture of, of sex from your perspective. And there's a lot of, when, when we look from the perspective of religion, we look, we look at sex and we see shame. And there should be no shame when we talk about these things. When you experience shame, you should bring that shame to God. God will forgive you. He will heal you. Please come to Encounter 3 and 4. We deal a lot with that. Even in terms of your sexuality or, or maybe you've um, been involved with like a, in, in homosexual sexuality or even other forms of perversions. God wants to heal you in that area. All you do is you just come to me and you come to somebody, a counselor, and you pray with them and you confess and God heals you on the spot. There should be no shame. But when we speak about the holiness of God, we need to speak about God's way of doing things. And we need to allow ourselves to go beyond our own desires because we know that God's desire is for our good. And He is a higher being. He has more knowledge. He knows better than all of us. And every now and then the world tries and changes what God has created and what God called holy. And we cannot allow that. We cannot allow that. So here's a, here's a lost. It's a little bit of the fear of God, but I hope it will help you. So I was, I was praying about Hey God, why? It's, it seems like people are becoming more immoral, sexually immoral. And, and how does that tie in with what we see more people getting abortions? I know because I'm, I'm a pastor, a lot of people practice sex from a young age, but also a lot of babies get aborted. And it, it, it boggles my mind. How can you kill a baby? It boggles my mind. Please don't do it. Don't ever consider this. Even if it's an unsafe person and you know that he or she is going for abortion, tell him, go to options in town or, and go and just get a sonar so that they can see from very, you can hear the heartbeat. The first time I heard Eva's heartbeat, I'm like, what? This is a child. How can you ever abort a baby like this? 
So I was, I was praying about this. And I'm like, yes, God, it's, we're so obsessed with sex and it's all about lust, actually. Because we don't even think that if we're going to have sex, there's this chance, maybe a tiny chance because of all the, the protection that you've used for a baby to get born. And you actually don't want that baby if you're lustful. Just spoke to a lady last week in the mornings in the morning service. One of one of her, her children is involved with it, or is friends with a guy, and his girlfriend had an abortion. He is destroyed. He's destroyed. I'm like, what are we doing? And I had this picture in my mind that there are babies ready to be born in heaven, and then they would look down and at young people going into sexual immorality and like, no, Jesus, no. And then God would be, but this is how I created the world. It was supposed to be in, in a covenant relationship, but because of sin and corruption that entered, you have to go. Now a baby gets born or gets conceived and then he gets aborted. It is so wrong. It is the worst thing that we have allowed in our generation. When I grew up, I, I thought, hey, Jesus, I want to fight the fight. Like, I, I remember my dad telling stories about the fight against apartheid. It's such a, a physical thing. You can fight against this. There's an enemy. And now I believe the, the fight that we need to win in our generation is the fight against abortion. Because it's, it's killing people. It's not killing embryos it's killing people and there's a lot of good things that i that i see is happening even in those of you who watch the news in, in georgia that the it's the what's it called the heartbeat policy or law that they it's it's amazing okay so that's that's another way of looking at sex great let's stand